The reading tonight is from Jonah chapter 4, and you'll find that on page 928 in the Pew Bibles. Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, this is not what I said. Is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Amen. Well, thank you, Andrea and the band for leading our praise section. And while I don't normally name members in the band, uh, to avoid their embarrassment and to avoid showing that I've forgotten some of their names, uh, I do want to say how pleased we are to see Jeff back after his mishap. Delighted that he's with us and I think almost fully recovered. It's great to have you. You, you were around, but I mean back at the old Joanna and all that. Um, would you turn please to Jonah chapter four? I can't give you the page number because my Bible has a different page number from the 
pew text. Sorry? 928? You, you knew where to find it anyway, of course. In the mid-70s, uh, we had just gone to Londonderry to minister there. And our first summer, we uh, invited a, a team from the Irish Mission to come to bring their uh, caravan or van, which had all their, uh, what they used. The Irish Mission, uh, it, it still exists, but it, it's under a different name now. It was of uh, evangelists uh, from our denomination who worked mainly in the Republic of Ireland and um, took this caravan around to uh, markets and this kind of thing, selling Christian literature and uh, engaged in uh, evangelism. And they did a great job with us. We were able to go into uh, working class uh, estates and all of that. And it was well, very worthwhile. But what they told me in the course of uh, working with them for, I think, two weeks indeed, was that some Protestants in the border uh, counties thought that they shouldn't be evangelizing in Catholic communities. <coughs> they thought that shouldn't be done. Why? Well, this was a time when things were fairly rough in South Armagh and parts of South Down and west of the Ban. Some of them were experiencing being driven from their farms, uh, were what they would have described, although it wasn't a, a phrase often used in those days, of ethnic cleansing. And they thought some people shouldn't have the opportunity of following Christ. Now, I do not criticize people who have suffered through the troubles. I have never done that, and I never would. Why? Because I haven't been where they have been, and indeed where they are. That's not an area I want to enter at all. But this takes us to the story of Jonah. We read from chapter 4, verse 1. Um, really, I should have advised that uh, I wanted read from the previous verse, chapter 3, verse 10. Now, though, how you don't know. I didn't talk to you. Yeah, I think of these things. Yeah, never mind. Uh, <laughs> and th th this uh, says this. When God saw what they did, that is, the people from Nineveh, Ninevites is so difficult, I'll call them Assyrians. It's much easier, and Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, so I'm talking about the same, the same people. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction 
he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. This morning, it just happened, although nothing just happens in Christian work. This morning, Frank was preaching on people who were disappointed by God. And tonight, our theme is people who are angry with God and related matters. Well, you could say, well, th th these poor people who suffered in the border counties, well, it's understandable their position, but th they weren't converted people. They were just nominal Presbyterians or whatever. Well, was Jonah just a nominal follower of our Lord? Well, before we go down to have a quick recap on Jonah, I'm going to pray for the Spirit's guidance. But in our prayer, I want to mention one of our regulars who is facing a similar situation to the one in which Jonah was, Sinite and Soliana. Eritrean uh, refugees. Is Eritrea? Yes. Christians who have suffered severely, their family, in Eritrea. Sanite uh, doesn't know what has happened to her husband. Uh, her daughter managed to escape and is now stuck in Uganda and can't move anywhere because she doesn't have documents. And Sanite may have her request for asylum status rejected tomorrow if she's forced to go back to Eritrea with Soliana, her daughter, who knows what may happen. So let us pray. Lord, since the fall, there has been violence, there has been murder, there has been persecution. Your people have faced all kinds of difficulties and dangers. And we bring our sisters, Sinite and Soliana, before you now, and pray, O oh Lord, in your mercy and compassion, they may be able to stay and carry on the valuable, the priceless work of witnessing to Jesus in the immigrant communities in our own city. Lord, hear us. And hear us as we seek your help, as we turn to difficult concepts, difficult topics, things we wouldn't choose to look at, but things that arise from your word. May the Spirit, 
who inspired it. Be the Spirit who inspires us through it to follow Jesus and to share his love here and wherever he places us and all to his praise and glory. Amen. So, a quick reminder of the book of Jonah. Four chapters. This is the fourth in our series. Uh, We'll be starting a new series on Sunday week in the evening. Chapter 1 tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he was told to go east. That's my east. That's your east, okay? To go east to what is now modern, just outside modern Mosul, on the Tigris River in the north of Iraq. And Jonah, he got ready, he went down, he paid the fare, he got on a boat, and he went to Gibraltar, west, as far as he could go. At least that's where he intended to go. And we know the story. There was a great storm. The, the uh, pagan uh, seamen thought they were all going to drown. And finally, Jonah told them that it was his fault, running away from God, that they were all in all this trouble. And they agreed to throw him overboard. It wasn't what they chose to do. They threw him overboard. There was a calm, the storm ceased, and the Lord provided a large fish to swallow Jonah. Everybody knows about Jonah and the whale. You've heard about the tale of Jonah. I won't, I'll stop your suffering there. We have all heard of Jonah and the whale, chapter uh, one. Or Jonah was there in the whale for three days and three nights, chapter one. Chapter two, and this seems bizarre, but here it is in chapter two. In the belly of the whale, Jonah prays. And if that seems very strange, even stranger is what kind of prayer it is. It wasn't, Lord, let me out. It was a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. A, a, a psalm, if you like, its form is very like some of the psalms. In the whale, Jonah praised God, and his, his prayer, his song of praise and thanksgiving culminates in the key verse, uh, uh, verse 9, which comes, what I have vowed I will make good, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then what do we read? In not very delicate language, we read, 
And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. You wouldn't use that verb in the best of circles. But here in church, we're not in the best of circles. So it's suitable for us. Then we come to chapter 3. And the Lord begins again. The beginning of chapter 3 is like the beginning of chapter 1. The Lord says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, to Mosul, with my word. Preach to the inhabitants of that great city. And this time, Jonah goes. And like John the Baptist, he preaches, if you like, he didn't preach a baptism, but his message was of the coming judgment of the Lord. And what happened? The, the Assyrians in Nineveh, they responded. They repented. They put on sackcloth when they heard the message of the Lord. And the, the king heard of it, and he issued a decree, telling, decreeing that everybody should put on the garments of repentance, and in case anybody was left out, they should, put, they should dress the cows in sackcloth as well. He wasn't leaving anything out. What a, 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 a wonderful response to God. And the, the final of verse of chapter 3, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, they changed and God changed. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened and Jonah was furious. He was angry. So angry with God. How dare God do this to these enemies? These enemies. Was Jonah a converted man? Well, it, it's hard to talk about conversion with Old Testament, uh, but certainly he was a follower of the Almighty, so that's good enough for me. He was a follower of the Almighty. He was an obedient man. He'd had a, it's hard to imagine, a more profound spiritual experience than being chucked overboard being swallowed, being confined in the belly of a whale or a great fish for three days and three nights, of being vomited up. Boys, oh, when the command came to go to Nineveh the second time, he went. He was a changed man, and yet he was furious with God. He prayed, verse 2, and now we look in detail at this chapter. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, 
Is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. In chapter 1, we are not told why he went in totally the wrong direction. We're not told why he went to Gibraltar or Cadiz rather than to uh, Mosul. But here he, he, he owns up. It was because he didn't want to share the gospel with his enemies, God's enemies. He didn't want grace to extend to them. Now, he knew all about grace. His theology was impeccable. Have a look. Uh, Verse 2, the second half of it, is it? Uh, I knew, Lord, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Pretty good stuff. He knew his God very well. His problem was not that God was gracious and compassionate. The whole covenant people of God could say amen to that, and it comes again and again in the Old Testament. I don't need to quote other verses. There are plenty of them that say more or less this. No. His problem was God's grace extending beyond the family, beyond the church, beyond the perimeters of God's people. He was angry with God. Now, the Assyrians, they weren't very nice people. They were brutal conquerors. We, unfortunately, see in our television screens and hear on the news about ISIS atrocities of beheadings, of crucifixions, of suicide bombers, sometimes even children and teenagers. Pretty awful stuff. And we're horrified at such barbarity. The, what the Assyrians got, at, got up to was much worse. When you're watching television, sometimes there's a warning. You know, this material is unsuitable for or uh, scenes of violence or whatever. You, you see that sometimes at the beginning of a program. I was reading one of the commentaries, and it's the first time I've ever come across a warning in a book. This commentator begins to describe the brutality of the Assyrians, and he says, warning, you get that, and he says, the following description, I forget precisely his words, but it's something like, will be hard to take. So you have been warned. And then he gives a graphic description. 
they weren't very nice and that is the understatement if ever there was one. And even the, the, the king of Nineveh in chapter 3, when he's, when he's calling, ordering his people to repent, he talks about them, uh, let them give up their evil ways, three, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and their violence. And their violence. And now, what was God doing? God was forgiving them and accepting them. God was showing them mercy. And at the beginning of chapter 4, he was saying, Lord, if you're not going to kill them, well then, kill me, because I can't handle this at all. As we move on in the chapter, we see that God challenges his position. Look at verse 4 and 5. The Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? And what does Jonah say? Jonah says absolutely nothing. Verse 5, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. He made himself a kind of shelter to protect himself from the elements. And he waited to see what would happen. In his preaching, he was to warn of God's judgment within 40 days. Clearly, the 40 days weren't up. And even though the Lord said he was going to do that, he thought he would sit out the 40 days to see if God saw sense and reverted back to what he should be doing. And, well, what do you do to somebody who feels as strongly as Jonah does and now is is sulking in a corner? Do you try to talk them out of it? You won't get anywhere. What does God do? Well, let's read on. God sends a vine, or some some versions have a gourd, a worm, and a wind. Jonah doesn't want to talk. He just wants to die. Or does he? Or does he? Obviously, the shelter was knocked up very quickly because it wasn't uh, very adequate. The sun came up and it got very hot and he needed protection. And he got protection because the Lord sent a, a plant, a vine or gourd, something with plenty of leaves, grew up, shot up, and the leaves were over his head And he got relief. He got verse 6. What does it say? The Lord provided a vine, made it grow up over Jonah to give a shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Ah, this was just the thing for his weight. A nice shade to protect him from the awful heat. 
And we read, Jonah was very happy about the vine. Now, uh, how does anybody who's determined to die be very happy? And that is just about a plant that keeps this, the sun off your head. So he was a mixed up man. He was a mixed up man. But then what happened? The Lord sends a worm. And it was, we've seen fast uh, caterpillars. I see them in the hostas. One day there's hostas, beautiful leaves. The next day the caterpillars have been added and it's just, uh, yeah. Well, this, the caterpillars in Adley's garden are nothing to this worm. It devoured the lot. And God then sent an east wind. And it was hot. And it was strong. And it was unceasing. And Jonah grew very faint and wanted again to die. Having been happy when he was comfortable, now he's uncomfortable and he wants to die. Would the man please make up his mind? Anyway, there you go. And the Lord now speaks to him. Verse 9. God said to Jonah, he was ready to listen now. God says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about this vine? And Jonah said, I do. I am angry enough to die. And the Lord says, hold on a minute. Who provided this protection? You didn't. Who's in control of these elements? You're not. You didn't make any of this. And yet you're so critical. I did. I showed graciousness and generosity to you. And should I not be as generous to this mighty people who don't know, yes, they don't know their left hand from the right, and the commentators can't agree on precisely what that means. But should I not be gracious to them? And the story then ends with a question. We're, we're left in the air. There are two books of the Old Testament that end with questions. One is Jonah. The other is Nahum. Jonah talks about how the Ninevites were saved. Nahum, referring to the same people a couple of generations later, tells of how they were judged and destroyed or were to be. Okay. What's this message say to us? This is the last uh, part of this sermon. In the New Testament, we see that Jonah isn't the only one who is against God's generosity and grace. Luke 15, there are three parables. Now, some of you should know what they are. And while you're saying, oh yes, they are, the last one is the parable of the prodigal son. Or, better, the parable of the two sons. The parable of 
the two sons. We all know the story of the prodigal son. Way goes off, sows his wild oats. Uh, his money disappears with his so-called friends. He ends up in the pigsty. He comes to himself and comes back to his father. And his father kisses him, embraces him, makes a fuss of him. And there's a big party for the boy who has come back. And the older brother was in the fields. And what does he do? He says, what's this all about? So he walks down to just outside the the farmhouse. And he says, what on earth is going on? And they say, don't you know your brother's back? And we're having a great party. Your father is so thrilled. And did he go in? Not on your nelly. And we read in Luke 15, that he was angry. A little Jonah. And he wouldn't go in. Why? Well, because he thought the father wasn't being fair. And how many people here tonight, maybe we don't feel so angry that we don't want... uh, people with whom we disagree, evangelize. Maybe we don't go that far. But sometimes we get angry with God because it doesn't seem fair. And that's what he was saying. It's not fair that I should slave and be faithful and always be here for you And this ragamuffin, this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, this son of yours comes back and you give him something that you haven't ever given me. He thought it wasn't fair. And what does the father say? He says, and it's interesting, he says, should I not really rejoice Your your reward, you're always with me, and what is mine is yours. But should I not rejoice and give something special to this brother of yours? Isn't that interesting? One said to the other, this son of yours, and he replies, this brother of yours, the older brother, was forgetting. That's one parable. Another parable, Matthew 20. The parable of the workers in the vineyard, yeah, it doesn't ring bells. It'll ring bells when I tell you about it. Uh, When a a landowner, a vineyard uh, owner, went out for casual daily laborers, and he hired some at the scrake of dawn, and he said, I'm giving you a day's pay. And then he hired some three years later, and some three, three hours later, it didn't last three years, uh, and then three hours after that, and finally, with only one hour to go, he hired the remaining one. It was a bigger job than he had anticipated. And when they, they all queued up to get their pay, the boys who were just had worked for an hour, they got a day's wages. And the boys who had worked all day said, great, what am I going to get? And 
Why were they disappointed when they only got a day's wages? It wasn't fair. We sometimes think it's not fair. And we almost pray to God like this. Why is it not, it's not fair, O Lord, that I should be suffering this and everyone else gets off much easier than I do. It's not true, but that's how we see it. Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why are you not giving me what you're giving them? Or as a congregation, we can say, Lord, why are we not receiving the blessing that some fellowship or church is receiving? My, they're humming and all the young people are flocking to them. Why is it not happening to us? And there's resentment. And there's a sense of a, a strong lack of charity, of love. Does that happen? You bet it does. Yeah. When we think of grace, the central thing of grace is what? That we are given what we don't deserve. Isn't that right? So, When it comes to the two aspects of the Almighty's nature, justice and grace, grace is, if you like, the denial of justice. If God were only just, we would all be destroyed. God is just, but God is also also gracious. And his son. How does Mrs. Alexander put it? There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. We all know there is a green hill far away. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. That is grace. Jesus taking our place. And we forget that that God has been so gracious to us when we resent his graciousness being shown to others, when we don't get our way. What I'm praying specifically at the moment for is for our building fund. I'm rejoicing that after how many years we've got planning permission and now it'll be going up. And quite naturally, people have different views. I don't know what they are because I deliberately stayed away from the committee meeting on Tuesday night. And I'm a smart boy doing that. I don't know what the different views are. My fear is that we will allow Satan to sow seeds of discord because we differ. I I imagine they're minor peripheral matters, but to us they're important. Well, we need to talk these things through 
in Christian charity, brother to brother, sister to sister, sister to brother. That's how the Lord expects us to do it and not be a blockage in the blessing which the Lord wants to pour out upon us because that's the price we will pay. If we get caught up in ourselves, Jonah focused on himself and couldn't see beyond his people. We have to have a global vision and a global vision begins here with the people who take a different view than we do. Conclusion. Jonah pops up in the New Testament in an entirely different way. Our Lord deals with, speaks of the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. And he's referring to how the people of Nineveh repented and sought the Lord. And speaking to the Jews of his day, what did Jesus say? He said, the people of Nineveh will rise up on that last day. They repented. They're in the kingdom. If you haven't repented, they will be signs of your rejection by the generous but just and righteous God. You'll see it in uh, Luke and in Matthew. And that's a challenge to us too. Have we repented? Yes, a long time ago. Well, we've got to do it again. And again. And again. And follow Jesus. And not seek to die or even to be discomforted. Let's pray. Gracious God, Jonah knew your character, but it didn't stop him disobeying your command or later resenting deeply your blessing on others. Our theology is very good. We know all about grace. We sing about it. We talk about it. Lord, help us to be empty of self, filled with that grace, that we can show more grace, your grace, to brothers and sisters in this church family, to brothers and sisters in other church families, to those who share employment with us, who live in our neighborhood, or with whom we mix in our daily existence. Lord, have mercy on us and help us to take note 
of the sign of Jonah. And to Jesus be all the glory.